we're back, we're here, and we're talking about Kill Team at Adepticon, and this is the second part, we're going to be focusing on each individual game, uh, decisions that were made, what I can remember, um, and what was relevant to the tournament. So this is Sugi, you're listening to Squad Tactica, and we're just going to jump right in. Before we do, huge shout out to our sponsors, the Army Painter, uh, Battlefield, wait, no, that's a video game, uh, Battlefoam, and <laughs> Discount Games Inc., and all of our Patreons for your support. This is an amazing group of people, companies, players, whatever you want to call yourselves, uh, Primarchs, I guess, and um, yeah, we're doing a lot of really fun and amazing things over the course of 2019 going into 2020 with your support, so thank you very much. All right, let's get to the fun stuff. So, in the previous episode in part one, we talked about uh, the list I played, why I played it, the fact that it's a budget list of under $100, which I'm just really excited about because there's a lot of people who feel or perceive or think that to be competitive and to be successful you have to spend a lot of money you have to spend more than hundred dollars you have to buy all these boxes you have to have all these models and my attempt to prove that wrong had some great success I think personally so um, going into round one it is a 90 minute match you have time to set up your train you roll off for placement you roll for all that stuff we're not gonna talk about that uh, just because we all know how that works so round one I played against one of our listeners whose name was Matt he was fantastic I loved talking to him playing with him and it was just a blast so he was playing Raven Guard which was interesting I hadn't seen that before um, this was also the gentleman I did want to give a huge shout out to Matt because he told me about something that I'm going to be promoting as much as humanly possible over the course of the next few weeks uh, Warhammer community has a program for teachers and schools to help promote um, the tabletop hobby in clubs Matt is a teacher and he told me all you got to do is send like an email to the Warhammer community you have to prove that you work at a school and they send you a ton of product they send like a starter um, Age of Sigmar set a starter 40k set some paints some brushes some terrain they send you like three or four hundred dollars worth of product for free in the attempts to you know show your students what Warhammer gaming looks like what miniature gaming looks like you get to play the game you can play it either in fantasy or in sci-fi you have the opportunity to you know engage in the hobby aspect so painting modeling collecting that kind of stuff and he said it has just uh, it's been incredible his students love it um, a lot of them went out and actually bought their own kill teams the club has developed into not only a Warhammer club or a, a miniatures club but they've been starting to play kill team matches because it doesn't cost a lot of money it's very time efficient and there's so many different armies that the students are able to pick and choose uh, whatever they want very easily so a uh, big shout out to Matt for letting me know about that if you're listening and you're a teacher and you have students or you want to start a club please check this out um, I'm blown away Eames Workshop is providing this um, service to the community and to these schools. I think it's amazing what they're doing. So uh, definitely check that out. But let's talk about round one, competitive play mission, raised archive. As I said before, uh, for those of you who are listening, if you're at home, you're on your phone, you have the time and ability to look this up, Adepticon posted all of these online for free. They have pictures, basically the exact same thing I have in my hand as a digital copy. 
So if you kind of want to see this uh, as I go along describing it, you can. Otherwise, I'm going to do the very best I can to describe the uh, matches and what we're looking at so you have a good um, picture in your head what's going on as we play through the game. So kill teams, mission for two players, battlefield, blah, 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 scouting phase, don't do it. Deployment, same old, same old, battle length, four rounds. Every single match was four rounds. That's important. Just because sometimes, uh, let's see, the first game did, yeah, the first game we came to time, did we go to time? No, we, we ended right before time. Second game was a tie because we went to time. And the third game, I won right before time was called. So the 90 minutes is relevant when you're playing these matches because it covers the game, the setup, the mustering, the picking of, uh, selecting of your secondary objectives, all that stuff is very important. So um, you're playing on the standard kill team map size. The victory conditions are uh, taken hold. At the end of the battle round, a player scores one victory point for each of the following conditions that they satisfy for a maximum of three victory points. Number one, you control one or more objective markers. Cool. Number two, you control two or more objective markers. Pretty easy. Number three, you control more objective markers than your opponent. Uh, the range to control or contest an objective marker in these scenarios is two inches of the marker. A player cannot score more than nine victory points for this condition during the mission. So once you hit nine victory points, you're capped out. Nothing more you can do. You might as well abandon it and search for secondary objectives. Secondary objectives for this map. The secondary objectives for this map are cut apart, engage on all fronts, high-profile targets, proximity alert, and recon sweep. Conveniently, I have the cards with me, so I'm just gonna go over them in a nutshell. I actually read through each and every individual card in the previous episode, so if you're listening to this and you didn't listen to part one, go listen to part one. Um, so cut apart is the one where at the end of the fight phase, score a victory point if one or more models from your kill team killed someone. Engage on all fronts. Let's see here. Uh, that's the one where you divide the battlefield up into four quarters. If you have a model in each of the quarters, at the end of the round, you get a victory point. High-profile targets. Uh, every specialist you kill, you get a victory point. Um, what else here? Proximity alert. This is the one where, at the end of the battle round, you score a victory point. If there are... There's one enemy model within two inches of two or more of your models, and then Recon Sweep, the one I absolutely hate. Uh, if you have one of your models within the enemy's deployment zone, you get a victory point. So I clearly took Proximity Alert here on this one. Uh, what else did I take? Oh, I took Engage on all fronts, and I definitely took the Cut Apart. So these three secondary objectives capitalize on a couple of things. Uh, engage on all fronts allows me to move across the battlefield wherever I want, and because I have so many models, I'm probably going to be scoring this on turn one, which I did. Um, proximity alert gives me the opportunity to get in my opponent's face with melee combat, and on average I'm going to have two or three pox walkers attacking a model, which will give me victory points very quickly because all I have to do is have two or more of my models within uh, two inches of one of the enemy and I get a victory point. Cut apart is going to help me focus on the fight phase, which I brought the uh, Great Plague Cleaver melee guy, uh, Pestilax, the first guy we painted and named, if you remember, and then the Great Flail of Corruption guy. So I have a bunch of Poxwalkers. I, I don't remember the list. I should have written it down, but if I'm not mistaken, it was eight Poxwalkers, Flail of Corruption, uh, Great Plague Cleaver, my leader, and... 
I did bring the Blight Launcher Heavy Specialist, and I'm pretty sure that was it. It was just four, yeah, it was four um, Plague Marines and then eight Poxwalkers. So I was able to flood the board with Poxwalkers as a screen and then um, go in for the kill with the fight phase, um, high damage um, melee weapons, which would give me additional victory points if I kill things in the fight phase. So, looking at the map, it is Hammer and Anvil, so you are on the short ends of the map, not the long ends of the map, like Dawn of War. This also had the secondary objective, Evaluate Find. At the start of the movement phase, if you control one or more objective markers, you can choose a model from your kill team within one inch, and then you score a victory point, but they can't do anything. So, when you deploy, it's a six-inch deployment zone, and at the very end of the six-inch deployment zone, in the dead center of the map, you have a piece of, um, not terrain, what am I thinking of? You have an objective marker, so does your opponent. So when you're placing the terrain, both of us covered it so that it was something you couldn't see. And basically at the start of the game, we deployed a model on top of that. And then we were just constantly scoring one victory point. Because in the take and hold, you automatically get one victory point if you control one or more objective markers. And then you would use evaluate fine to get the secondary victory point because you would just, you know, stick your guy on there and make the declaration. All right, I evaluate fine. Boom. So, like, it was a guaranteed two victory points for me and my opponent. The other two victory points, if you're looking at the center of the map, you divide the map uh, up and down and left and right. And the other objective points were three inches from the edge of the center. So it basically makes a giant cross. Um, that's it. There's only four objective points. One is in your deployment zone. One is in their deployment zone. And the other two are dead center in the middle of the map. So what you're really um, having to do is focus on your secondary objective. So my opponent, like I said, was playing Ravenwing. Uh, let's see. He had a sniper rifle. Like He, he went in on the uh, sniper comms combo trick that we talked about earlier so he had the comms guy which reduces the uh, roll to hit then he had the sniper who could pop a command point to reduce the roll to hit so basically you could be obscured more than half the distance away and they could use that combination to completely irrelevant make that irrelevant um, he had a he was heavy on uh, melee he had a guy with a um, regular knife that had like five attacks on the charge because of zealot and then he had another guy who had like three attacks base. It wasn't a power weapon. It was just a buttload of attacks on a space marine. Uh, but he was running um, all primary space marines. So you're looking at reavers and intercessors, which gives him uh, multiple wounds. And he had the uh, combat knife, which when the bear fights, can make one additional attack. So all of these guys have like two attacks base with the combat knife. You're getting three with the combat specialism. You're getting four. And then uh, there was something else that gave him a fifth attack. So he has two models that are super heavy into high um, basic fundamental melee attacks. He's got a sniper rifle. He's got a guy. His comms guy was sitting on his objective point. So he could use the comms bonus on the sniper while keeping his comms guy safe. And then his uh, sergeant had a power sword. So right off the bat, when we're placing our terrain and our models, the very clear thing to do was you're going to have to allocate to one side or the other. Because like I said early on, we both have our uh, objective markers that are in our deployment zone. So you either have to go heavy left or heavy on the right. And so when he was placing, because he only had five models, I definitely had the advantage. And what I did was on 
we'll say on the left hand side, I placed, I believe, four pox walkers. No, I placed three pox walkers and my blight launcher um, plague marine. And on the other side, I placed uh, five pox walkers, no, four pox walkers, the uh, great flail of corruption, the uh, plague, yeah, the flail of corruption, the axe, and my leader with the plasma gun. And then I stuck one of my pox walkers on the objective so basically he had to allocate what he had done because he put all of his models down before um, in the middle he put his comp specialist on the left hand side where I put my three pox walkers and my blight launcher he put his sniper rifle guy and he put his um, jetpack marine guy who had uh, five attacks on the charge and then on the other side on the right hand side he had his uh, sergeant with the power sword and the uh, stalker bolt rifle and then just a generic uh, intercessor, I believe. Nothing special there. So the idea I had at the start of the game was to pressure him into uh, either overcommitting or trying to push me out of one of the lanes. And in hopes of him overcommitting, I would be able to do two things. One, I should be able to capture the lane where I have a heavier presence. But because the middle was open, and I, I don't have a picture to describe it, but basically um, you could see from each point in the middle across the field. So if he overcommitted into one, I could shoot him from the other side with my plasma gun, or I could shoot him from the other side with my blight launcher. Turn one uh, was really interesting. I got incredibly lucky, and my blight launcher was able to kill his sniper rifle, mo sniper rif rifle model in the uh, first round of shooting. I It was just a bad luck. It was really bad luck rolls. I hit, I wounded, he didn't save, I had my D3 and I rolled three dice and, you know, you're just not going to survive three dice coming at you needing a four, five, or six. And so, like, right off the bat, his plasma guy was gone, I was able to hold my objective, I was able to hold the objective on the left-hand side where the sniper rifle guy was, so immediately... Um, I was able to do a lot of things. Um, I was able to get one victory point for controlling one or more. I was able to get a victory point for controlling two or more. I was able to get a victory point for controlling more objectives than my opponent because we were contesting the middle right side objective because I had a couple of my poxwalkers had gotten there by running and then a couple of his guys had gotten there by running. So we're kind of fighting over the right-hand side objective. I have my objective in my deployment zone. He has his objective in the deployment zone. So I've got four. He's got two. And then I'm also scoring points on proximity alert and uh, high-profile target because his sniper was a specialist. So, like, right off the bat, turn one was real good for me. It put me way ahead in the lead. And uh, that did help kind of catapult me into winning my first round. Uh, round two, he charges me on the left-hand side where he had his five attacks uh, combat knife guy. He runs into my blight launcher guy. He sticks a wound, um, but it turns into a flesh wound so that it didn't kill me. I counter charge him with three of my four pox or two of my three pox walkers because I need to make sure one of my pox walkers is on the objective. Nothing happens. Uh, that's pretty much the end of the game for that model that, you know, he doesn't kill anything. I don't really kill anything. We'll just kind of sit there and hug each other and have tea. Uh, the interesting thing on the for the game was the right-hand side where we're, con we're fighting over this point. So he's got his uh, Reaver Sergeant with his Power Sword who, you know, is chewing through my Pox Walkers. But then my Flail of Corruption and my, um, my uh, Great... 
plague axe get get in there and we just start um, beating him to smithereens and putting wounds on him we start trading flesh wounds and killing each other and eventually over the course of uh, rounds two three and four um, he does maneuver his sergeant away like he kills a couple of my models the the pox walkers but he doesn't kill any of my plague marines all my plague marines survived um i think i could be wrong my my blight launcher might have died um but as i was saying earlier you can tar pit a model so the model that had the five attacks on the charge with the combat knife um, he never actually moved after the charge during that game. He just kind of sat there and the pox walkers kept hugging him and uh, moving around, countercharging him. Some of them would fall back. The other one would charge. So that way I was able to um, control the point while keeping my opponent locked in combat the entire game. So it's very possible I lost my Blight Launcher guy, but I know I didn't lose him turn two, maybe turn three. Um, but there was just a constant map mixture of like, you know, I would go first, he would fall back. Or, I mean, I would go first, I would fall back, but then I would charge with my other guy. So there's like basically these three Poxwalkers keep rotating. There's a Poxwalker, there's two Poxwalkers in, you know, base to base combat. One of them falls back, which moves them to the, you know, the command point. One of them charges and it's only like two inches away. So they automatically make it because it's less than four inches. So it's like, you know, charge, fall back, charge, fall back, charge, fall back. There's kind of a dirty thing. Um, I don't think my opponent ever got to go first in this game. So I was just constantly moving and just setting myself up for uh, locking him out during the course of the game. It didn't really work as well on the right-hand side where I sometimes I did want him to go first because that would give my Poxwalkers the opportunity to charge and maybe do some more work because they have to move into my range, my realm of command, as opposed to just being right outside where you know, you might be uh, 11 or 12 inches away and the odds of me rolling that are not very good. In fact, in round three, after I killed one of the models, I charged with my Great Plague Cleaver to attack the um, the generic uh, Raven Guard. And I rolled an 11 when I needed a 12 and it was just really frustrating that I couldn't get there. And now I'm just staring down a weapon to the face and I got countercharged. and it, it sucked. But, you know, it happens. So anyways... The uh, the game I definitely won. I was hitting all of my secondary objectives quite frequently. I got proximity alert uh, three of the four rounds. Uh, that was really easy. High profile targets. I believe I killed two of his uh, three specialists. So that was really easy. And then engage on all fronts was just super 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 easy to do because I had um, pox walkers in every like every corner was really easy to do because I've got one in the back who's automatically in one of the corners and fighting over points uh, in the middle of the map. Like, literally, I can just have one Poxwalker on one side, you know, holding down a point, one Poxwalker on another side of the corner attacking the, uh, you know, the, the knife guy. I've got my Poxwalker in the backfield containing an objective point, and then all of my... Uh, army is on the other side fighting against the Reavers, pushing them back, and I'm just getting point after point after point. So it was a, a lot of fun. It was pretty cut and dry, though. Uh, losing the sniper early game, I think, really hurt poor Matt because he just didn't get any value out of that model, and his comm specialist 
really didn't get any other bonus target because everything else was so melee oriented. He could have used it on the sergeant with the stalker bolt rifle, but the sergeant really wanted to be in melee combat because he had the power sword. And I believe Matt was also using, um, what is it? Um, cut apart. So that gives him one victory point every time he kills something in the fight phase. So being able to shoot things without the sniper rifle model was just not beneficial to him. So, you know, it is what it is. So I take the win on that one. I get a lot of points. And, um, you know, we, we shot the breeze. We talked. It was a lot of fun. Matt was a really, really nice guy. In fact, I, uh, I hope to see him at Nova because he actually lives out in the Northern Virginia area. So I'm really, really excited to see him again. But um, it was a really, really fun game. It was tight. There were some good rolls for him. There were some bad rolls for him. Same thing on my end. Some good rolls for me, some bad rolls for me. Uh, there were at least three charges where I needed like a six or a seven, which shouldn't be too hard with 2d6, but I didn't hit it. And I just stopped short of the charge. And it's like, oh, this Poxwalker like gets obliterated. I'm like, bummer. That sucks. <laughs> But, you know, it is what it is. So we ended round one. I win with points. Now, the interesting thing about this is that unlike like normal tournaments, you're looking at like a win ratio. So if you go like three and oh, you know, you're going to go further and do better than someone who goes two and one. At Adepticon, they only care about points. This was news to me because I was of the opinion. I thought that it was win loss ratio, win loss record. So I clearly was trying to win, clearly was trying to get victory points, but I thought, you know, if you just win, it doesn't matter if you have like two points, it's still a win is a win. So I quickly found that out at the start of game two that I needed to be um, aware that scoring more points is probably more important than winning because if I score 15 points and lose, but my other opponents are scoring six points and winning, I'm still ahead of them. And that's going to put me, you know, at the top tables in, in the position to win the tournament. So let's talk a little bit about the second objective, capture the strong point. All right. So round two was a lot of fun. I actually, so my opponent's name was Brian and I actually got to talk to a games workshop manager. This guy was really, really chill, super legit. Uh, we actually probably spent a good 15 minutes during our 90 minutes, which was dumb, uh, talking about games workshop stuff. So long story short, um, as you may or may not know, I live in Carrollton, Texas, which is like 15 minutes down the street from Grapevine, and that's where the uh, Citadel Warhammer store is, which is, like, the biggest Warhammer store in America. They've, you know, as you've probably seen in the photographs, they've got tables, they've got a cafe, they've got product everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. So I'm talking with Brian. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm a store manager. I'm like, okay, cool. And he pulls out the Citadel dice tray. I'm like, where did you get that? He was like, oh, I'm a manager in Houston and I've been training at the Citadel for a couple weeks. I'm like, no way. I live right down the street. And we, we just start talking about uh, Dallas and Texas and the Citadel shop and the food stuff and Grapevine because there's a really amazing sandwich shop right across the street. And there's some really good restaurants on the strip where the Citadel shop is. And we were just talking and talking. And then like the judge is like, hey, we, we started already. You probably need to set up. I'm like, oh, crap. So we we went to time and tied. That's like the you know long and short of this um, episode. 
synopsis, but um, boy, Brian was just a phenomenal guy. Tons of fun to talk to. Uh, very well versed in playing the game. A strong opponent. And uh, this is an interesting game because I have a couple stories to tell that uh, things that shouldn't have happened to happened and things that should have happened didn't. And uh, it was anyone's game. But I played against his Grey Knights. And this was um, one of the things that caught me off guard. And we'll talk about that here in a later bit. But I didn't know anything about Grey Knights. And um, now I do. And I think I probably might consider playing them because they're a lot of fun. But let's talk about Capture the Strong Point. Uh, same thing. Kill teams, battlefield, scouting phase, deployment, battle length, blah, 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 blah. Ends at the end of round four. Cool beans. We don't care about that because it's all the same as the other ones. Victory conditions are the same as the previous. It's taken hold. Uh, if you control one or more objective markers, two or more objective markers, more than your opponent. Can't score more than nine. That's, you know, this number one and two are exactly the same. This is the uh, one mission packet that you are going to score the least amount on, and here's why. There's five tokens on the board, and they basically kind of form a star if you were to connect all the points. Um, this is going to be a tricky one to describe because uh, it's kind of weird. So if you divide, once again, if you divide the map into four quarters, it's hammer and anvil, you're on the top, they're on the bottom, whatever you want to call it. Um, the objective points, instead of being dead center in the middle and inside of your objective, are two inches over and seven inches deep. So it's one inch outside of your deployment zone and two inches over. For this sake, we'll say to the right, if you're looking at it from the top. Uh, the third objective, if you made that, you know, cross that we're talking about, you know, one line down the center and one down across, the there's an objective six inches in the center of the map from the left-hand side edge of the map. So that's like the triangle. Here's the part that kind of adds to the star. On the right-hand side, you have two objectives that are five inches away from the center of the map and three inches away from the edge of the map. So basically, you know, if you were to... Uh, tap the map, you know, you're looking at it from top to bottom, you tap it sideways, 90 degrees, you'd have uh, two objectives in the bottom, two objectives in the middle, uh, two inches off center, and one objective at the very top in the center, six inches from the edge. And you could kind of connect those points like a Star of David or whatever. But it's basically like the Star of David is like six inches to the bottom of the map. It's not like dead center in the middle of the map. So... As you could probably imagine, a lot of the army forces are very heavily shifted to the right-hand side of the map because in those two quadrants are four objective points, and then the top left is one. So it is what it is. There's a location secure secondary objective at the end of the battle round. Score three victory points if you control all five objective markers. That never happened. It wasn't going to happen, and it's probably impossible. If you can do it, you've probably tabled your opponent at that point, but... Yeah, it's not going to happen. Uh, secondary objectives that you can choose from the cards, you have Engage on All Fronts, which I definitely did pick. That's the one where you segment the map into four uh, quadrants. If you have one model in each of the quadrants, you score a victory point. Uh, thin their ranks. Let's see here. At the end of the battle round, score one victory point if two or more enemy miles were taken out of action in that battle round. I did not select this one, but my opponent did because I have a bunch of Poxwalkers. This is the exact same team that I played in round one. Eight Poxwalkers, the Plasma Gun Leader, the uh, Heavy Weapons, uh, Blight Launcher, the uh, Flail of Corruption, and the Great Bubon, the Plague Axe. 
um, model. So four Plague Marines and eight Poxwalkers. So my opponent did take that one against me. Uh, Recon Sweep. This is one that uh, I talked about earlier that I really hate. You have to have a model in your opponent's deployment zone. Okay. And then um, Scout the Field, which is... Doo -doo 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 -doo. At the end of the battle round, score one victory point if there are more models from your kill team within at least one inch of three different battlefield edges. So you have to be um, on the left battlefield edge, the right battlefield edge, and in your opponent's deployment zone. And then domination, which is if you uh, score a victory point, if you have more models from your kill team within three inches of the center of the battlefield, then there are enemy models within three inches of the center of the battlefield. So my secret objectives were domination, which is uh, center of the battlefield, engage on all fronts, which is have a model in each quadrant, and then uh, the other ones were awful. So I, because my opponent only had five models total, I couldn't take them the ranks because if I kill two of his models, I'm pretty sure the game is over. So the odds of that happening were not great, especially when Grey Knights are pretty tanky. We'll get into that here in a second. But yeah, those suckers are real tough to kill, like frustratingly tough. So I believe I just took Recon Sweep because I didn't really care and moved along. So my opponent has five Grey Knights. His uh, Justicar was running the staff that gives him a 5-up invuln save, which never mattered because I didn't attack him anyways. Um, he had two models with the double Nemesis Falchion. I think that's how I say it. I always thought it was a Falcon, but I heard like a bunch of people call it a Falchion, so it's whatever. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Grey Knights are pretty stock MEQ. 6-inch uh, move, weapon skill 3, ballistic skill 3, strength, toughness 4. One attack, one wound, um, leadership 7, save 3 up. Um, when you make them hold the Nemesis Falchion, if you have two of them, each time it fights, it can make one additional attack with them. So you're looking at um, two attacks or three attacks. Pretty sure it's just two attacks, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but you do have combat. So one of his uh, guys had two of the Falchions and combat, so he was swinging with three attacks. It is a strength user, AP negative two, damage D3. That matters because, uh, yeah, having a strength five, six, having a strength six attack on toughness five means your weapon skill is hitting on threes, you're wounding on threes, and then... I have an AP negative two, which puts me at a five up armor save and then D3 damage. That was the big thing that hurt because if he rolled two or three, I have to hit two five ups on my re disgustingly resilient. And the odds of that are just really, really, really low. Hilariously, one of my poxwalkers survived two damage. And that really frustrated my opponent because he was like, I needed to kill that. And my poxwalker just sat there. I'm not going to get super into the details of movement because there was some complex movement that I cannot explain here. It's just not going to happen, but I'm going to go through, um, uh, we got to like round, we got to round three. Turn one, he moves, um, turn, let's see, what was it? Uh, turn one, we both control the middle objective that is seven inches deep, so it's one inch away from our deployment zone. That was really easy. Um, we fought, yeah, we fought a majority of the game actually over the top part, the six inch deep singular point that is on the left hand side just by itself. 
we were both able to pretty comfortably sit on the uh, second objective that was on each of our sides, the one that's five inches away from the center of the map and three inches away from the edge of the map. So for the most part, we both controlled one or more objective tokens, we controlled two or more objective tokens, and then we were constantly fighting over the one in the middle because um, no one ever actually owned it. We were constantly contesting it. I was lucky enough that I was able to get my um, Poxwalkers into all four quadrants early on in the game, like round two, and I was able to score victory points off of that. Uh, unfortunately, my opponent figured out that I was also trying to score the um, uh, domination, where I would have more models in the middle, and so he began to push some of his Grey Knights, uh, the melee ones with the Falchions, into the center and go into combat with my Poxwalkers and not only contest, but kill my Poxwalkers, which started to you know add up really quickly. I never had to take a break check, which was good, but uh, he was using uh, what he knew against me, and he was you know stacking up against my nerve tests, which eventually mattered in turn three when one of my Poxwalkers that could have charged and contested an objective, or actually won me an objective because he would have been two inches or more, or closer to the objective, uh, became stunned or shaken and I couldn't use him. So round one, we basically set up, I throw some fire down, nothing happens, he throws some fire down with a storm bolter, nothing happens. One thing that I did realize and discover very quickly, I forgot Grey Knights had psychic powers. This is one of those few things you don't see very often, and if you're listening, be very aware that Grey Knights have psychic powers. And here's the one that really sucked. Cybolt. Cybolt has a warp charge value of 5, which means you roll 2d6 and you just have to roll 5 or higher on 2 dice. If manifested, the closest enemy model within 18 inches of and visible to the Psyker suffers one mortal wound. That means no saves. You do get your disgustingly resilient, but you get no armor save. If the result of the psychic test was 11 or higher, which means 11 or 12, the target suffers D3 mortal wounds instead. Luckily, my opponent never rolled 11 or higher, but he did pretty consistently roll 5, because 5 on 2d6 is very easy, and what's really scary is all of his Grey Knights are psychers. So, this is, this is kind of the thing that happened. Round 1... Not much went on. Um, I think he killed a Poxwalker because I hid most of my models or kept them out of range um, because Cybolt only has an 18 inch range and we're like so far away from ourselves uh, early game. So he rolled the Cybolt. I think he like shot, pretty sure he shot, oh yeah, he shot a Poxwalker and then I uh, disgustingly resilienced it. And he was like, oh, okay, that's nice. And I was like, yeah, that feels good. So turn two is really where the meat and potatoes of the game happened. So we start fighting over objective, the top objective. So he's got a, um, where's the hammer? Oh, he's got the Nemesis Demon Hammer, which is essentially the exact same thing as my Great Plague uh, axe. It's strength 2, AP negative 3, damage 3. That is different. He does get a flat 3 damage. Um, he does have the same problem as I do when attacking with the weapon. You subtract 1 from the roll, but I get the bonus of uh, re-rolling 1s on the wound. So it's give and take. Like He does automatically get D3 damage when he hits, which is nuts. Um, but, you know, so on and so forth. So he throws his um, hammer guy there. He throws, throws his storm bolter guy in the middle. 
and then who can see my guys over down by the area where the objective marker is. And then he has one of his models with the double um, Nemesis Falchion up top. He throws his leader with the staff thing that gives him a five up uh, invulnerable save, the uh, Nemesis Warding Staff. And then he throws another Nemesis Falchion guy. So he's got basically two guys on one side, two guys on the other, and his Stormbolter guy in the middle. And because he's got a 24-inch range, Rapid Fire 2, he does have a very um, well-placed model to put down fire where he needs to, to help either, you know, try and pick off models, put flesh wounds on Poxwalkers, or try and pick Poxwalkers off of objective points. So instead of contesting, he controls them. So the crazy thing that happens in turn two is I <laughs> I was really frustrated about this. I moved my <laughs> I learned this the hard way. I moved my in the first round, I hid my great flail of corruption model so he couldn't be seen by any of the gray knights. Felt really good. It uh wasn't good for him because he was like, Where is your flail of corruption guy? I'm like, he's right here behind this wall. No holes, no windows, no nothing. He couldn't see him. That was completely safe. Round two. Um, <laughs> round two, he shoots in the psychic phase. He shoots his um, cybolt or whatever, and he kills like a poxwalker. So it doesn't matter. But in the in the movement phase, I, I charge his... Um, <laughs> it's just so, so frustrating. So Grey Knights come with a Nemesis Force Sword and a Storm Bolter, and in the Warrior options, you can change out your Force Sword for two Falchions, but you still get your Storm Bolter. So, uh, you know, when you try and charge a model that can't see you, they can't shoot you. However, I failed my charge. Now, I, only, I, I, was a I wasn't too far away. Like, I'm not, like... 11 or 12 inches away. I think I needed a, I need like a six or a seven. So I roll and I get like one and a two. So I spend the command point to reroll and I got a uh, two and a two. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. And I have to move four inches out into the open. And I am like, this is bad. This is really bad because I needed this charge to get into their face and try and you know they couldn't shoot me they couldn't see me this should have been an easy roll and i failed i'm out in the middle of nowhere i have no protection i am less than half the distance of their storm bolter i'm completely unobscured this is going to go poorly not much else happened in round two like we were jockeying for positions um but needless to say i unfortunately got shot off the table like that poor that poor model just got blown away. I got hit with two storm bolters at rapid fire range. So he was rapid fire. It's rapid fire two. So he has two shots. He gets four shots per guy, and it was just it was bad. Like of course you know it was threes to hit, fives to wound. I did get my armor save, and I did get my um, disgustingly resilient. But um, there's there's just not much when you're taking eight shots to the face. And eventually one of them got through. One of them gave me a flesh wound. And then the other one um, just killed me because I had the flesh wound. So instead of a four, five, or six, it was a three, four, five, or six. And I, I pretty much knew it would take a miracle to save my guy. Just because he was able to hit me with um, the two models with rapid fire two 
which turned into rapid fire four. And then he had his other guy with a storm bolter who hit me at 24 inches. Now he, I was more than half the distance away, but I wasn't obscured. So he was still rolling two shots with force to hit. So I basically took 10 shots into this one model and it's, it's not going to live. It's just not because you're either going to take a bunch of uh, flesh wounds and it's going to become fairly useless or it's going to get shot off the table. And that's exactly what happened. And, I, I don't know if it was my fault, if I should have been more patient, if I should have tried to set that up a little bit differently, but uh, regardless, I lost one of my best melee units, and it, it really did come to, uh, I didn't win the game, I did tie, but I could have won the game if that hadn't have happened. Um, so in round two, my guy gets shot at the table, and I'm just like, oh boy, that is just super duper duper bad. Uh, none of my guys were in melee range, so there was no... Um, combat happening it was just a lot of shooting and unfortunately i'm at a loss for shooting because i only have a plasma gun guy and a blight launcher guy and i didn't kill anyone i put a flesh wound on the um gray knight who was the the vanilla gray knight who just had the storm bolter in the middle of the map i didn't kill him but you know he's worse at shooting now so you know that's kind of good um, but in round three or in round two, no, that was round three. Yeah. Some crazy stuff happens. So round two, uh, he knocks out one of my specialists, feels really bad. I feel like I'm on the back foot because now I'm kind of in melee range, but he's got a guy with two falchions and he's got the guy with the hammer. I've only got one melee guy who's got a giant ax and, you know, his models are higher quality than mine, although I have pox walkers I can do things with. They're probably just going to get chewed to bits. And I'm trying to reallocate pox walkers to the center of the map so I can get victory points and keep pox walkers in each individual quadrant so I can get victory points. So it's just really complicated because I have to try and micromanage all these different things. I lost one of my best melee models. And so I'm just kind of like, hmm, how do I... Uh, come back from this so round three i think we go into round three and there's like 15 minutes left so we're trying to play quickly we're trying to make good plays but you know we're talking through we're you know referencing our abilities we're trying to make sure we're not doing anything stupid so some interesting things happen i was able i go first and i put up all pretty much all my pox walkers in the middle of the map um, at this point, I have one stunned poxwalker, or one uh, shaken poxwalker, over on the side, the left-hand side, with my axe, who is, you know, try we're trying to figure out a way to either kill or severely wound these models that are contesting the objective. Because like I said before, we each have the objective nearest our um, deployment zone. We each have the objective five inches from the center and three inches away from the table edge on the right-hand side. So... We're fighting over this one point in hopes of getting that extra point to not only win the game, but get extra victory points over the course of the game. Because by round three, we had only scored like six points apiece. No, five, five points apiece. So our, our scores are really, really low. We're short on time. Everyone has pretty much ended their matches. And, you know, we, we asked, you know, how, how well did you do? And we're hearing people say, oh, I got like 12 points, 15 points. 
and we're like crap we only have five like we have to get points fast we have to try and play out this round we have to try and win because if you win a match you get three extra points so even if you have five and you score two at the end you get three additional points you're still sitting at 10 so people who have lost a game at 12 points aren't that much further ahead of you but it's still kind of scary because you know unless you got a lot of points in the first game which i was lucky that i did you're starting to lose that uh, that threshold because you know your opponents might have gotten 10 points in the first match 15 points in the second match you know if you scored 15 in the first match and six in the second you're losing you're not winning this tournament so both of us like instantly realized like we need to start scoring points fast and uh, Brian figured out that I was going for the secondary objective of holding down the uh, the center of the map and so he starts moving his guys with the falchions and the nemesis staving wharf uh, wait warding stave into the center to not only contest that objective but he started to push into my area and try to uh, steal my objective on the far right hand side that was five inches away from the center three inches from the edge while keeping one of his guys on his so he's basically trying to keep he's got one to he's trying to control four well he's trying to control five realistically because he was trying to put one model at each individual section i knew for a fact that he wasn't going to be able to do that and he shouldn't be able to get that many victory points because um this is the location secure where you can get three victory points so basically his end game was i get uh three victory points for the victory conditions, you know, one for controlling one, one for controlling two, one for controlling more objectives than my opponent. I can get three more points for controlling all five objective markers, which means six in one turn. Uh, he would definitely be, kill something uh, during the turn in the fight phase, so he could get another one within their ranks. And, um, you know, getting a seven-point swing at the end of round three is pretty significant, and that would have not only won him the game, but pushed him into you know possibly winning the pot so i knew what he was doing and i figured out what i needed to do to stop that so i abandoned uh this one i believe i believe he went first i could be wrong um but i abandoned trying to hold down the center objective for victory points and i started to move my pox walkers to contest everywhere i possibly could because if i could just contest him out then he wouldn't at least he wouldn't be able to get the location secure uh three victory points for controlling all five points and he wouldn't be getting tons of victory points for controlling one two and more than me so basically the thought process was if uh if he's going to try and win i'm going to try and stop him and maybe i can like eke out one victory point above him and get a really cheap win but i'm not going to let him take over the map and just crush me what was really interesting was um, he charged one of my pox walkers that was sitting on um, my objective, the five inch from the center, three inches from the edge. So he charges me, and I'm like, okay, that's fine. I move another pox walker in within uh, two inches. It, it could. I tried to actually charge him. I didn't make it, but I happened to be two inches away from the point. So I'm contesting it because he has one guy there. I have two guys there. Um, I was pretty sure that pox walker was going to die so at that point it was in my head it was just a contested objective I wouldn't control it but he wouldn't get points either um, we both controlled the center objective so that's an easy one victory point for the both of us because we would control one or more um, 
I didn't have control of the center. He didn't have control of the center, so neither of us would get victory points. If he hadn't shown me his, I accidentally showed him mine, and I miscounted. I thought I had three guys there, and he had two. Unfortunately, one of my models was like 3.01 inches out, so I, I was not within the three-inch uh, range of the center, so I didn't get the victory point. So I assumed he probably had the same thing, so I had to make sure he didn't get it. So uh, at this point, he's got control of one. I've got control of one. He moved his uh, both of his um, Grey Knights off of the five inch away, three inch away to try and push me out of mine and the center. And then he's got two models on the um, the six inch from the center, uh, from the, in the center from the left edge of the field. And I have nothing. So at this point, I'm like, okay, I need to do something. I need to get in. We need to have some kind of contact. So um, I charge him like he just he just readies all of his models that were sitting on that objective on the left hand side. And so I charge him with my uh, my axe and I get in, which is good. He hits me with Overwatch. Nothing goes through. I'm fine. I did have a Poxwalker there that had a flesh wound that was um, that failed the nerve check. So it just sat there for basically two rounds and didn't do anything. Um, I moved my leader closer to the center so he could get a double tap shot off of my opponent's generic uh, Grey Knight who had the Storm Bolter. So at this point, we're basically jockeying for control of two separate points. I'm trying to take him off of the point on the left-hand side in the middle of the map. He's trying to push me out of the right-hand side so that he can control three objectives and potentially control all five because he's going to have one model uh, pretty much everywhere. And maybe he had six models. I think he had six models because he had to have because he had one. Five, he had five or six. Um, but the point of the matter is uh, he's trying to control every single objective if he gets lucky. And I'm like I'm holding the one on my side with a poxwalker, which he's um, pushing for. Now he didn't actually get to that objective he tried to do a charge and he failed so that was lucky for me because that means i'm not going to be having to worry about contesting all five points i'm going to definitely control one he's definitely going to control one and we're going to fight over um the other two no he, he only had five because he abandoned the other one so oh i know what he was trying to do uh we didn't find out how much time we had until after all the charging was done because i figured if he had killed me off of two of the points um, in round four, he could re he could move his um, his gray knights to control all five points. So this I knew he was setting it up for a round four uh, three point swing. He wouldn't get it here. That's that's what it was. So I'm sorry if that uh, came across incorrectly. He did have five models, but I realized he was setting himself up so that after the fight phase, he should kill a majority of my models that were holding points. He would get points because they wouldn't be contested. And then during round five, he could spread out control all five and I would have lost a significant amount of my army and it would have been really difficult for me to stop him because he could just shoot me off or charge me and, you know, I would be in a lot of trouble. So round three, he's setting up, he's trying to do all this stuff and I'm like, okay, I got to stop him, I got to slow him down, I got to do something here. So, like I said, I charge his hammer with my axe, we're both going to swing really slow at each other. He then countercharges my axe with his falchions 
So basically, there's two of his guys in base contact with one of mine. However, we were attacking through a wall. So all of us were obscured from each other, which was kind of nice because it means the hammers... It was bad because the hammers hit each other on fives, uh, but his falchions hit on fours. It doesn't matter. I was able to at least lock down two of his models, which means they're not shooting with the storm bolters, which was nice. Uh, unfortunately, that also meant that my uh, Plague Belcher and my uh, leader were unable to shoot anything because they were in combat. I did come to find out that bad things happen when <laughs> you are uh, in the Psychic Phase and your opponent can shoot you with a 18-inch shot. And your closest guy is your blight launcher guy and I was like oh that sucks so on turn three the psychic phase goes off he throws a cybolt from his generic guy who's kind of in the middle of the map now who is within 18 inches and can see my blight launcher he shoots him I take a mortal wound I do happen to get lucky and save on my disgustingly resilient which he was like okay lucky that feels good and so here's where the crazy stuff happens. Um, we go into melee combat. Yeah, we're, well, we go into the shooting phase, first of all. And I am like, all right, here we go. We've got the Blight Launcher. I've got two shots. I can see his um, generic guy who has the Storm Bolter. He's not obscured. He's within, you know, less than half the distance. I get two shots. So I need threes to hit. I need uh, threes to wound. And I have AP negative 2, and I have a D3 damage. So both hit, both wound. He fails one of his rolls, and I get D3 damage. And I'm like, all right, I'm killing this model. I'm going to be able to have a lot stronger board presence. This is going to be great. I'm, fan I'm super excited. I roll three damage dice. One, two, three. I need a four, five, or six to kill this guy. So, as anyone would guess, I'm shocked. He's shocked. He's like, oh, that's crazy. I'm like, yeah, that's nuts. So, I spend a command point, and I get to roll all three dice because that's what happens. One, one, two. And we both stare at that roll for a few seconds in awe, like, that should be a dead model. He just takes a flesh wound. What the heck is going on here? And I'm just like, that is bad. <laughs> that That is like super bad because I needed that kill. I, I super... <laughs> and he's like, yeah, that could have won you the game because... I would have been able to kill him. He wouldn't have had... I would have had more models in the center of the map, and I would have gotten a victory point, which would have put me above him at the end of the game. Like, this is me talking in retrospect. So, if I kill that model, I would have won the game, had one extra victory point, and then an additional three, and I would have, you know, done better. I actually would have won the tournament. Um, but I didn't, and it was just like... All right, we're moving on. Sith happens, whatever. There's nothing I can do, but it was just mind-blowing that out of six dice rolls, I couldn't get a four, five, or six. That was crazy. So uh, shooting phase is done. We shoot each other. Not much happens. I didn't kill anything. Nothing happened. I, I put a flesh wound, whatever. 
Um, we go to combat. He charged me. I charged him. Uh, I can't remember who went first, but basically in a nutshell, um, he swings in with his guys into my axe. I swing into his guys with my axe. He, he uses a hammer and the falchions. I use my axe. Uh, not much happens. I put a flesh wound on him. He puts a flesh wound on me. And it was pretty boring. Here's the other crazy thing that happened in round three, like insanely crazy. So going back to the position that we talked about, remember when I said he charged the objective that was on my side of the field with the five inches deep, three inches away from the, the edge? This was a charge from his double, double falchion guy who had combat. So he had three attacks. Um, the, the falchions, let's see, they have D3 damage, blah, blah, blah. Um, he obliterates my my guy. Like he flat out, you know, he hits, he rolls to hit, he rolls to wound, he's fine. He rolls the D3 damage and he gets three damage. I roll my disgustingly resilient. I do not pass. He rolls his three dice. One, two, two. I'm I look at that and I go, uh oh. I didn't die. I'm fine. He's like, don't worry about it. I'm going to spend a fate or I'm going to spend a command point. Reroll the dice. One, one, one. And for the second time in the same turn, we both were at a place where if he had have killed that poxwalker, he would have scored that objective or no, he would have contested that objective and actually gotten more points because he would have controlled two objectives he would have controlled one more objective, two more objectives, and more objectives than I would because I would have controlled one. At this point, I controlled the objective because I had one guy in combat with his uh, Grey Knight, and I had one Poxwalker that was within two inches of the objective. His face dropped, and I was very happy because I knew exactly what had just happened. And in retrospect, the exact same thing had happened. If he had killed that Poxwalker, he would have won by one victory point. I would have lost by one victory point, and so on and so forth. He would have gone on to have a better chance at winning the tournament. So, like, all this stuff happens, and then time is called, and, you know, we, we were done. Like, they're like, you know, you put your dice down, time's up, you don't get to play the rest of the match. You score your points, blah, blah, blah. And I was, like, blown away because... Um, the way the points fell, we both had seven. It was a tie. We both get one additional point for a tie. And then we moved into game three. But literally twice, I rolled six dice, couldn't kill a guy. He rolled six dice and couldn't kill a guy. And either one of us getting that kill would have changed the course of the game. And we would have won at that point. I guess if we both had done it, we both would have, we still would have tied. So it doesn't super it's one of those weird things where it's like if I had killed him and he had killed me I would have went on if he had killed me and I would have killed him he would have won if we both had killed each other would I guess it still have been a tie but it was just this crazy story of like I roll three damage dice can't get a kill spend the command point still can't do it what the heck same thing for him just makes for a crazy story that is insane so the game ends we both pack uh, pack up getting seven points um not much to report after all of that, but the game was really tight. The game was really fun. Uh, literally every single decision mattered. I don't really feel like I made any wrong decisions, and I don't think Brian made any wrong decisions. 
the uh, the lack of killing each other with the six dice is just a fluke. There's nothing else to say about that. He, I don't know, might have misprioritized one target by shooting one of my poxwalkers with a stormbolter instead of trying to shoot my leader later on who was obscured but within you know half the distance of one of his storm bolters there's a lot of things that could have changed based on different actions but like i said it was a very 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 tight-knit game i had a lot of fun and uh, it was a it was a real honor to play against brian he was a really swell guy and i hope to see him at another con um but that was the end of round two i'm sitting on let's see what did i have here i have my uh, score so i had seven points from game two and let's see 21 points from round one so i'm looking at 28 points 29 30 31 32 with the bonuses from winning and tying so i'm not doing poorly i have a fairly uh high amount and the only other per so i was uh one win no losses one tie there was one guy who was two wins no losses and then everyone else was like one win one loss so i was like okay i should be playing this guy um, because I'm thinking, of course, we're playing based off win-loss ratio. I was really excited that it was the orc guy. If you saw the pictures from Adepticon, it was the guy who had the orc uh, shirt. And he had the little um, orc... Oh, what do you call it? He had this little tray that he transported his orcs on. And I'm going to tell a story about him after talking about Adepticon. I like the whole tournament. But uh, he was super cool. I did not get his name. I can't remember. But he was such a fantastic guy. Such a great person and I really wanted to play him in round three he really wanted to play me I was really excited I was thinking okay he should have a lot of points I should have a lot of points um, but unfortunately the cards did not line up and we did not get to play each other I was really sad and this is the guy who actually won the entire pod so it is what it is um, but we go into round three and I got to play another listener of the show whose name was Hank he was playing the uh, Adeptus no, not Devs Mechanicus. He was playing Imperial Guard Scions, and uh, as probably most of you know, I have this army, I run this army, and my friend who lives in Texas, Dave, also runs this army. So I was really happy because I knew this matchup like the back of my hand. I knew exactly everything he had, unlike the Raven Guard and the uh, Grey Knights who I was kind of learning on the fly. I knew exactly all the profiles, I knew the orders, I knew every single target, I knew exactly what I needed to do. And that was a huge benefit to me. Um, he kind of knew what my Plague Marines did, but I think I definitely had an advantage because I I literally play both armies. In fact, I was going to either play Plague Marines or Scions at Adepticon, so it, it wasn't really difficult. I knew the matchup fairly well. So we had the competitive play mission, Running Battle. This was a very interesting mission because it forces you to get in your opponent's face Right off the bat. So kill teams, battlefield, scouting phase, deployment, blah, blah, blah. Battle length is four. This one had a very different setup and very different victory conditions. So this one is victory points are scored for the following. Complete reconnaissance. At the end of the battle round, a player scores one victory point if they control any objective markers or two victory points if they control more objective markers than their opponent or three victory points if they control the objective marker furthest away from their deployment zone, whichever is greatest. Player cannot score more than uh, nine victory points for this victory condition. In every single other game, you could score one victory point for controlling one or more, 
an additional victory point, number two, first controlling two or more, and one more additional victory point, which would be three total, for controlling more than your opponent. In this game, you can only score one of those. You can only score one, two, or three. And of course, at the start of the game, you're not going to be in your opponent's furthest deployment zone, which means at the start of the turn, you can only probably score one. Here's the crazy thing. There were no objectives in anybody's deployment zone. I'm going to talk a little bit about the deployment. And once again, imagine you cut the, rect the, the battlefield into a rectangle. Your deployment zone, you're looking at it from the top. Your deployment zone, a, play a player's deployment zone, is in the top right corner. You take the quadrant on the top right and you cut it in half. And your deployment, a player's deployment zone, is in the uh, triangle in one corner on the top right and then you do the exact same thing on the opposite side of the map on the bottom right hand quadrant you cut it into a diagonal slice so there's two triangles and a player's deployment zone is in the bottom right hand side of the map so your deployment zones are actually touching in the very center of the map and you are really tight. Here's what's crazy. Where your deployment zones touch, you go three inches deep into the map and there is an objective marker. So not only are your deployment zones touching, but there is literally an objective marker where both of you can see it, both of you can touch it, both of you can fight over it. And it's just like, oh my gosh, what the heck is going on? Like We're going to be fighting like crazy. In the center of the map is an objective. That's objective number two. So, and then in the um, top left and top right corners, uh, five inches deep on both sides, or five inches deep on one side, uh, six inches deep on the other side, is an objective token. So there's four total. Um, there's one, like, knocking at your front door, right in front of both players' deployment zones, one in the dead center of the map, and then two basically in the corners of the map opposite well, you know, opposite of you. And that's where you have to go if you want to score those three objective points. So once again, I immediately realized this is going to be a very low scoring game. I had a high scoring game round one. I had a very low scoring game round two. I need to make these secondary objectives count because if I can't, I'm not going to be anywhere near uh, top place. The secondary objectives have keep moving that says at the end of the battle round score one victory point. If no models from your kill team are even partially within the battlefield quarter, that includes your deployment zone. So that means I have to have my models in three, one of the three quarters that's not where I deploy. Okay, that's not terrible. But then I look at the secondary objective options and uh, there is one that is counterintuitive to that. So we have cut off the head which is one of the options that states when the enemy leader is taken out of action, score victory points equal to five minus the number of the current battle round, which we talked about earlier in the other episode. I think this is one of the trap. I really don't want to try and prime, like primarily focus on killing a leader model. I may or may not get to, and I may only get one point out of this, which isn't really worth my time. Uh, engage on all fronts is one that I've been playing as often as I possibly can. And this is the one where if I have one of my models in each quadrant, I get a victory point. However, it does work against the keep moving one that I just read because that one wants you to be out of your deployment quadrant. This one wants me to be in my deployment quadrant. So I picked engage on all fronts because I knew I could make this happen pretty early, probably round two. 
and which I did, which is every game I ever played. I was able to get this off round two and start accumulating victory points very quickly. Uh, the next one was attrition that's available. Uh, at the end of the battle round, score one victory point if more enemy models than friendly models were taken out of action in this battle round. We have high profile targets which is when you kill a specialist, you get a bonus uh, victory point. I absolutely took that because he was running uh, two, three specialists, and I only ran two. This was the game where I took 10 Poxwalkers, uh, two generics, my leader, and my Flail of Corruption. So I had a butt-ton of Poxwalkers because I knew I was going to need to pressure objectives. I knew I was going to try... I was going to try and maybe go for the three victory points by being on the other side of the map, although I, I was pretty sure that was never going to happen. Um, but he actually had the most models of anyone I played. So my first opponent had six, my second opponent had five, and I believe he had eight scions. So I knew I needed to have more models on the table just to contest because he had more uh, board presence than my opponents did and I needed to place more poxwalkers on the table to figure out where in the heck I was going to put my uh, my marines. And then let's see what else we have uh, high profile profile targets. Proximity alert. I absolutely took this one. This is the one that says at the end of a battle round, you score one victory point if there is an enemy model within 2 inches of two or more models. You know, once again, poxwalkers are going to be getting into combat. You're going to have a lot of poxwalkers getting into melee combat with one scion, and that's just free victory points. So these are the three cards that I needed to use to win this game because I knew I was not going to be doing much of anything um, with the um, the victory conditions with the complete uh, reconnaissance. Like at maximum, I could get like two per turn. So I needed to get these secondary objectives on deck as fast as humanly possible so that I can just score, 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 score. So um, we get to round one, and I'm going first. So I run a bunch of my Poxwalkers down south, trying to get close to the center objective and get down towards the objective that's opposite of my corner. And I set, like... Let's see what I have. I had 10 Poxwalkers and 4 Plague Marines. So I have 14 models. I put basically, if I remember correctly, I send 3 Poxwalkers down south for that objective. I send, uh, so that's 3 out of 10. So I have 7 left. Yeah. So I send 3 Poxwalkers down south. I send 3 Poxwalkers and my generic um, Plague Marine with the bolt gun to towards the center. And then I send four Poxwalkers, my leader with the plasma gun, my uh, Flail of Corruption, and my other generic... Did I run the generic? What did I run? No, my Blight Launcher. I have my Blight Launcher guy. So I send my Blight Launcher guy, uh, Flail of Corruption guy, leader, and four Poxwalkers towards the center um, objective that's between... That's like right in the center of the map that's between both of our objective points that we're going to be fighting over. So this is one of the games where um, there were some really, really lucky rolls early game, and I was able to take out um, a specialist. So on turn one, I get a point for high-profile targets. We also start fighting over that objective, just like I suspected. I'm able to get an additional victory point for proximity alert. So we're looking at 
one victory point for controlling an objective marker. Um, I'm able to run my Poxwalkers down and get the one that's at the very bottom. So is he. So basically, we both get one victory point for controlling an objective marker. Uh, we don't get the two victory points because we don't control the center one and because it's too far away. And nobody controls the one that we're fighting over that's in between our two objectives. So he doesn't get any secondary victory points. I get two, so I'm sitting on three victory points right off the part, top of the game, which is good because that's accelerating me into the win condition that I wanted. We go to round two, and I'm able to spread out and get engaged on all fronts. I'm able to kill another specialist of his, and of course, um, he's within you know two inches of my models, so I get another you know three victory points off of secondary objectives, and I'm able to take over the center objective. The, uh, the bottom objectives we both control because, you know, no one's able to get that far. I take the center objective, he doesn't contest it, and we're still fighting over that one right there in the middle. So at this point, I get two victory points because I control two objectives, and I get an additional three points because I get all three of my secondary objectives. So I get an additional five points. So I'm scoring very quickly, I'm scoring ahead of my opponent. Uh, out of the nine models he had, I think I'd taken out three or four. So I'm starting to dwindle his army. I'm starting to have more field control. I haven't lost any models. Um, I have no flesh wounds. Everything is going my way. We get to round three and some nutty stuff happens in my favor. So we both get to the center objective and start fighting over it. Both of us are uh, holding down the objectives uh, opposite of our corners. So that doesn't matter. I control the objective in the center, three inches away from the edge that's in between our um, our uh, deployment zones. I have one of my models in every single quadrant. I haven't killed a leader yet, or, well, I haven't killed a specialist yet, but my proximity alert is working. So I have a guaranteed two victory points from my secondary objectives, and I should be controlling more objectives than my opponents. So that should be another two victory points. So we go into round three, and uh, this is where something really unfortunate happens that I enjoyed, but I don't think my opponent enjoyed. I attacked his leader with three of my Poxwalkers. Believe it or not, I killed his leader. And this was crazy because I need fives to hit, fours to wound, and then he has, I have no armor penetration. So he has a four up armor save. And then <laughs> I need to roll a four, five, or six to kill him. So my first Poxwalker attacks. Two attacks, nothing. Second Poxwalker attacks, nothing. Third Poxwalker attacks, two fives. Or uh, I think two sixes, actually. I was like, oh, that's cool, but it probably won't do anything. Roll, I need fours to wound. Two fours, or like a, a four and a five or whatever. I was like, oh, you take two armor saves, but you should be fine. He fails both. Uses a command point to reroll. Fails that one as well. I was like, okay, okay, this is interesting. I only have one damage here, though. Roll the die. It's a six. I kill his leader. Then I, <laughs> I decide, you know what? I'm probably never going to get to do this, so I'm going to do it now. I have a command point left, and I use Nurgle's Gift. It's a death guard tactic. Use this tactic after a Poxwalker from your kill team takes an enemy model out of action in the fight phase. Roll a d6. On a four-up, you may set up a new Poxwalker within one inch of the Poxwalker that made the attack. 
The new Pox Walker is treated as a member of your kill team, but is not a part of your fire team and is not added to your command roster. I roll my die. I get a six. So I killed his leader, and I converted it into a Pox Walker, which at that point, I very clearly controlled the center objective because um, I had way more models. Getting that extra Pox Walker actually helped me control that center objective. So I'm controlling uh, three objectives. I didn't kill a uh, specialist on turn three, but I get another four points. I'm way ahead of him. Uh, poor Hank. Like, and I will say something. Uh, Hank was a great sport, very honorable, very great player. Um, there were just some really bad luck rolls for him, and he still he's played it out. He had a lot of fun, and I, I he has my highest respect for doing that, where a lot of people could just... Uh, you know, quit and walk away. He did not. And I, you know, big props to him. If you ever meet him at an event or convention, you know, shake his hand. He's a great player, um, but he's very, very amazing as, you know, just, I don't know, accolades, mass accolades to Hank. Um, we go into round four, and at that point, um, it was just, the game was pretty much over. Um, I had engaged in all fronts. I had proximity alert. I was able to kill one of his uh, specialists. I had more uh, objectives than he did, so I got another five points because I got two from victory conditions and three from secondary objectives. So that was the end. We, we get to the end of uh, round four, and time is called like literally after we just wrapped up the game. So I'm sitting on uh, 15, 7, 21, and the tournament is over. I had a lot of fun. I played with some amazing opponents. Um, and now we're just waiting to see what happened. Um, the guy who was playing Orcs, who was 2-0, won his game, but he only got like 12 points. So I'm like, okay, cool. I got more points in my first and my third games um, than he did, but he got way more points in the second game than I did. He's got three wins. I've got two wins. So it's going to be really close. Um, and then, you know, about 10 minutes later, they wrap up all of the pods and they start making the announcement. And so... Um, you know, I'm like, all right, I should be winning. I should be really close. And they make the announcement. All right, pot A, which is the pot I was in, goes to such and such, goes to that guy who was running the orcs. I'm like, oh, darn. I was really close. I was really proud. But I was like, I must have missed it by like a point or so. You know, we shake hands. I'm going to tell a story about his orc thing here at the end. And I was just like, okay. So once they wrap up the awards and give everyone their medals, I go up to the judge. And I was like, hey, uh, I was in pot A. My name is John Sugiyama. Can you tell me how many points I had? Um, I know I did well. I just like to know was I first, second, third, you know, where did I place? And I'm like, okay, I find you. And they're like, well, you tied for first. I was like, how did I lose? And he was like, well, you know, after for tiebreakers, we go to army showing. I was like, oh my gosh, I placed first in my pod with a budget army, having not played in the competitive scene for many years. I was super elated. And that's um, something I'm just very proud of. I didn't win. No, technically I took second place. But I tied for first with an army that wasn't meta. It was a budget army. It was just like, you know, I hope this gives hope to listeners um, because there's a lot of people who've asked, you know, do I need to buy these things? Do I need to buy these, this, this army box? Do I need to buy X, Y, and Z? And I was able to accurately prove at Adepticon in a tournament setting with high-tier players who know what they're doing if you know how to pilot your army, it doesn't really matter how much money you spend. Your pilot skill is incredibly important. Making the right decisions is incredibly important. My skill and ability, I feel, is being able to assess 
at any point in a given time where I am in terms of gaining victory points and winning the game. A lot of players have different capacities to make strategic and tactical decisions to understand the math probably better than I do, but as I was talking through this and kind of explaining how the games work, I know for a fact that my skill is being able to look at the scenario and determine, based on what options I have available to me, how can I win the game, how can I deny my opponent from winning the game, and where am I at in any given turn. On turn one, how close am I to hitting these objectives? On turn two, what are the odds of them hitting their objectives? What are the odds of me hitting my objectives? And how can I outscore them? On turn three, what pieces do I have left? What pieces do they have left? Have they revealed any of their secret objectives? How can I stop them? How can I hit mine? What is the maximum amount of points I can hit? And what are the odds of hitting that? And to each their own. Not everyone has to have that kind of perspective that I do. But if you're a good pilot and you can make good decisions and you can assess where you are versus where you need to be, you too can not only top your pod, but win your pod. Just paint your army for Pete's sake. My army looked like poop. I'm not going to lie. I had like no fully painted models. So I'm not mad. I'm super proud. I'm super happy that Squad Tactica represented itself very well at Depticon. I'm very happy with the people I got to play. They were just super genuinely really nice people. In fact, I was blown away that people would like leave their kill team and their dice and their and their stuff and go get a snack or go to the bathroom. I'm from LA and I play in trading card games. If you like turn around and blink, uh, someone will steal your stuff. These people were leaving entire kill teams on the table and no one stole it. In fact, people were watching it. Like, they were protecting their fellow players' swag. And not everyone knew everybody. So I was like, this community is amazing. These people are amazing. Adepticon is fantastic. And I am absolutely coming back because this is just something you don't get anywhere else. You don't get that kind of camaraderie during trading card game uh, tournaments for like Magic the Gathering or Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh. Um, there's just not a lot of places where you can leave your stuff and someone doesn't walk away with it. I don't recommend you do it, but I was just blown away that I saw at least three kill teams just sitting on the table and I was like, does this belong to anyone? Hello? And, you know, it was still there when the person came back. So... Good on you, Adepticon. All right, so I want to tell a fun story. Um, I took first place. Well, I tied for first place. I didn't win. Had an amazing time. Everyone who can play in a Kill Team event should absolutely do it. So the guy who won, and if you saw the pictures, he had this tray with orcs, and it had a little whiteboard that said Mork and Gork. And what you could do, <laughs> this was just the derpiest thing I've ever seen, you could challenge one of his orcs to a fight and you would either challenge the gork clan or the mork clan if you won you just won if you were an orc player and you won because you know you're an orc player and orcs win you could contribute a tally point to the mork or gork character so basically what it did was you took a model from your kill team you placed it in the air arena he took one of his orcs and placed it in the arena and then you did a roll off to see who goes first and then you would roll off to see if you made your charge 
and then you would roll your attacks. He would roll his saves, and that was it. And because, you know, they're orcs, they die really quickly. And so after we were done with the tournament, everyone in our pod was playing games against Mork and Gork. And it was just the funnest thing because it was like, all right, you flip a coin, see who goes first. Then you roll to see if you charge. Do you succeed or fail? Then the opponent would charge you back if you succeeded or failed. Then you would just roll a bunch of dice. Someone would die. And that was it. It was like two minutes and the game was over. But it was so fun. We saw Harlequin versus we saw Harlequin die versus an orc. We saw a Scion kill an orc. I I actually packed up my stuff, so I picked up one of his orcs and fought for the Mork clan, and I won. So I got to put a tally for Mork. I think that's how that worked. Um, what else did we have? Oh, the Grey Knights faced off. They clearly won against the orcs. And then the Raven Guard player won off and they killed the orc. Most of the orcs died. Like, orcs usually lose this match. But it was just fun because everyone was, like, around watching, chanting, Mork, Gork, Mork, Gork. Uh, you know, like, we would just start having wahs. We'd be like, wah! And, you know, when someone would charge it, it's like, all right. I mean, like, if you measure the charge distance, I think you were, like, six inches away from your opponent. Like, the concept of this game was not winning or losing it was rolling dice and just having a lot of fun and getting lucky and it was so freaking cool like if you meet this guy at a convention shake his hand and play because he's at lvo he's going to be at nova he's going to be at any convention he can get his hand on and it's just the funnest thing to like just chuck some dice chant mork and gork wah really loudly and see if your model from your kill team can kill an orc or if it gets killed by an orc which is even funnier because it's like you're not even mad if you win or lose you're just like all right let's do it again and like i left because i had to go to dinner with my friends but there was still like people there were people from other pods coming over to fight mork and gork it was just this cool grouping like we started with like six of us you know, playing, and then people start wrapping up their pods and coming over, like, what the heck is this? And he's like, oh yeah, pick a model, charge me, and see if you kill me. And they're like, okay. And then, like, the grouping just grew from, like, six people, like, ten people, and twelve people, and fifteen people. And it was like, you just heard this chanting at the middle of the night, it's like 10.30 at night. And, you know, there's not many people left playing. And then there's just us in the corner doing this. It was so much fun. It was just so amazingly cool. So, that is the wrap-up for um, the Adepticon tournament. I hope it made sense. If the stuff I was talking about didn't, um, go to the Adepticon website and look at the PDF for these objectives. It'll make way more sense because, um, it's just not easy to describe what a battlefield looks like over audio. It's way easier when you have something to look at. But the couple things I learned really quickly was it really matters knowing your matchup. Um, the one game I felt the most comfortable in is the one game I did the best in because I knew what the weapons were, I knew their ranges, I knew their abilities, I knew their AP modifiers, I knew their damage, I knew everything. So I knew what to avoid, I knew what I could charge in, and what I could risk probably surviving against. Having all of that information was a huge benefit to me because when I played against Grey Knights, like I knew, I know Space Marines kind of well because I play Space Wolves, but I knew nothing about Grey Knights. So getting hit with a Cybolt for the first time ever was like, oh, this is really bad. And then the Double Falchions was really bad. And the Storm Bolters was like, okay, I know what Storm Bolters do. Um, but the 5-Up Involence was like, oh, okay. And then the Hammer and the Nemesis Hammer and all these other things. It was like, 
I should probably do more research and look at the other factions I haven't researched and learn what they do. Because when I was playing against the Grey Knights, I was my head was in the book looking at their abilities instead of watching the battlefield trying to figure out how to win the game. And I didn't lose, but I didn't win. I tied. And I'm not upset. I don't think I did anything wrong. But having to allocate brain power and resources to try and figure out what these models do was probably a detriment because I was able to experience the highest of extremes in the tournament. One extreme was I know everything about this army. I play this army. I know every single profile and all of their abilities versus I know nothing. I don't know anything about the Grey Knights. I've never seen Grey Knights played. Nobody I know plays Grey Knights. They looked great. He painted them very well, by the way. But it was just like, what's a Cybolt? What's a Psychic Face? Nobody plays the Psychic Face. What's a Falchion? What does this Nemesis Hammer do? What is all? What are all these things that are happening right now? And I feel like I was just at a, dis I was at a disadvantage. I was on the back foot the whole game. That's just one of the things I learned from Adepticon. Know your matchups. You don't have to know it like perfectly, but at least have a fundamental understanding of what to expect. Know where some of the D3 damage weapons are. I didn't know there was a printed D3, or I didn't know there was a printed three damage weapon in the game. And then I get hit with a hammer. It's like, okay, I deal three damage. I'm like, do you don't roll a die? He's like, no, it's just flat three damage. I was like, okay, wow, that's really good. I would have played my game differently had I known that you just flat out roll three dice and stick it to my face. Okay, noted. Don't do that again. So I think coming away from Adepticon, um, it was a very good experience. Now, I want to reiterate very clearly, there were... I didn't play any high tournament level, super competitive, uh, douchey players. Some of my opponents had said that they had played some of them over the course of the game and they had no fun and it was really boring and obnoxious the people i played with were a lot of fun they were very kind we were talking while we were playing and having a blast so i don't want people to think that this was like a super high competitive ridiculously ultra tournament -y tournament it was a tournament there were good players it was a lot of fun people were not pushovers by any means and i think that the budget army thing has value. Now, if we were to play against all the medalists with Tyranids and the uh, Eldar Asuriani and all that stuff, there might be a different turnout. But I can say for a fact that this list held up at Adepticon, my pilot skill and the models I used are quality, and if you want to try and prove your point, go for it. Don't let anyone tell you that you have to play a medalist. Don't let anyone tell you that you have to follow these specific designs. You have to follow these specific rules. You have to have these specific models with these specific weapons. Do what you love. Enjoy what you play. And, you know, I've played a good probably 30 or 40 games with this list, so I know it like the back of my hand. I know it very well. I know what it can do. I know what it can't do. I know my weaknesses. I know my strengths. And that's just one of the most important things about the list is I know it very well. I don't necessarily think it's perfect. I don't think it necessarily has the answer to every single matchup, but I know how to manipulate the list to do what it needs to do in any given matchup. And I think that's what's important. Knowing your list, knowing your tools, knowing how to uh, handle any given scenario. That's what's the most important when you're going to any convention, your local game store, local tournament, any sort of 
uh, stuff like that. Know your matchup. Because I know if I were to play Necrons, and, you know, like we were talking with Chuck, you really don't want to be rolling a lot of dice because you hit that 6, you activate reanimation protocol, and you heal all of the flesh wounds off, and the model is basically brand new. So I have weapons that deal just one damage, like the Flail of Corruption. I'm going to get a lot of hits, but I'm only going to deal one wound, and the odds of me hitting a 6 aren't super high, but hitting a 4 or 5 to kill you is pretty decent. So... Just a lot of little things that mattered. Um, like I said earlier, being able to assess where you are versus where you want to go is very important. Um, that is one of the things that I think helped keep me ahead in most of the games I was at and helped me not lose against the, um, the very competent Brian who was playing the, uh, the Grey Knights, which I tied against. I could definitely tell that some of my opponents had much more experience than I did when it came to tournament games. And the one thing I was banking on was that I have played a lot, and I mean a lot, like hundreds and thousands of hours of strategic games, board games, card games, RTS, turn-based games, Warhammer, or Machine, Monster Apocalypse. Even though my opponents might have been playing in the tournament circuit longer than I have, I knew that I had played enough strategy games that... I also had enough experience to match wits with these players, and so I wasn't intimidated. I just knew that my skills and my abilities would come in handy in a different way. So for people who are going to say, for like Nova coming up, if you've never played any tournament, or like for me, I haven't played in a tournament scene for years, like 6th edition, that is a long time ago since I've played in a major event, don't be scared. Uh, use your strengths, use your wits to your advantage. If you play a ton of board games, if you play a ton of card games or PC games or strategy games, use that knowledge you have. That is valuable. You may not have experience in Warhammer Kill Team tournaments per se, but you definitely have experience playing strategy games, and that's valuable. You have... Um, you have uh, experience in making educated decisions, in making tactical decisions, in making strategic decisions, in assessing what your opponent is trying to do and how to stop them, what you need to do and how to accomplish it. Just because you don't have uh, necessarily tons and tons of kill team um, experience doesn't mean you are not a part of the, the top table of players. You can be doing other things that have value. And I think that's really important because as we've always said, it's not, you know, you can't judge a book by its cover. You can't look at someone who, you know, you ask them, hey, well, you know, do you play Kill Team tournaments? No. Cool, I'm going to beat this scrub into the ground. Don't do that. You never know what you're going to expect. You might be playing against one of the best, you know, board game players in the area and all they do is play war games. It's the same thing as Kill Team, it's just a different system. Don't underestimate your players ever. Always have faith in yourself and believe that you can make the right choices and that your pilot skill will, you know, get you a victory. I can very confidently say that that uh, helped me win two games and tie another one. And have enough points to tie for first place in the pod. Okay, that's amazing. That's great. That gives me hope to tell anyone that it's possible i mean if this is your first game ever it's going to be an uphill battle it's not going to be very good but if you're playing a lot of kill team at home if you're playing with the same army you know the ins and outs you know how your weapons work you know your matchups uh, you can do very well in adepticon or nova or lvo or whatever tournament you go to just because you're not necessarily playing at those tournaments you know every year doesn't mean you're you know out for the count you can 100 percent make it happen 
and I think that's just incredibly encouraging. Like this, this event encouraged me in so many ways. Like number one, uh, you can you can take a budget army to a major event and do well. Number two, uh, your pilot skill matters. Uh, you don't have to have all the money in the world to invest in a super expensive army. Uh, if you have good pilot skill and you know what you're doing, you can win pods or at least you know tie for first place. <laughs> um, the other thing is make assessments about your situation so uh, knowing your matchups is going to be very important but if you know your matchups and then you look at your your kill team mission packet and you're like okay we're playing this mission these are the secondary objectives this is what my opponent's army does this is what my army can do here's where we need to go here's what we need to do that is going to win a ton of games that is going to make a huge difference in how you approach your games it's going to make a huge difference in, in how you successfully gain the points you need and get wins on the table i know nova plays by win loss ratio so that's going to be way more important than your points because now you're just trying to get a win you i don't think you're really going I, I could be wrong but with nova i don't know if it's points based or not i'll have to look at what their um their system is but the the reality of all of this the culmination of all of this is you as the listener who is going to these events and playing can go as far as you want as long as you're willing to put in the time if you're playing the game at your local game store you're going to get better and if you get better you're going to do better in events and the more you play the better you get the more you learn the more you're able to use the skill to assess value out of objectives out of tactical decisions out of strategic decisions and it's just really simple play the game the more you play the better you get and that's that's really kind of the end of this episode is i had a ton of fun adepticon was a blast i'm very proud of my accomplishment but i want this information to be disseminated amongst the entire community that you can go as far as you want with what tools you have and it's very near and dear to my heart because there's so many games like for example magic the gathering i love that game i play it a lot but the community and the way the game works is very heavily handed in you have to buy the um the top decks to win like you can't show up with a 50 dollars deck and win a tournament it's just never going to happen you have to spend the money to get the right cards to play the decks that all the top players are playing there is no opportunity for someone to come in with a super budget deck with a limited card pool and win a grand prix it will never happen it can't happen and sometimes that's frustrating because it kind of feels like at times your creativity and deck building is stifled because you can either play a deck you enjoy or you can win games but they don't become mutually exclusive i think that in kill team those statements are not true i think you can play the deck you want you can play the team you want you can play the army you want with the list you want and if you're a really good player you can win tournaments and it can be as budget friendly as you want it to be it can be whatever color paint scheme you want it to be it can be the models that you want it to be you don't have to follow the current meta you don't have to follow the lists that won at the previous tournament you don't have to net deck and lvo list you can show up with the things you want and win games now of course if there's a list with bad models and you bring them you're probably not going to win but there are plenty of lists with plenty of models that are good and they get the job done they have excellent damage they have good abilities they have all kinds of combo plays and there's enough of them out there that the number of quote-unquote bad kill teams are few and far between but 
the majority of kill teams give you the options you need to play whatever you want, do whatever you want, win tournaments however you want, and that is so exciting to tell people because it is possible. If I had gone 0-3, and three, might have changed my opinion. I might have had to reassess. You know, you might have to buy a medalist. You might have to do certain things that, you know, champions from other events have done. But I didn't. And I think that that's important. I think you need to know that you can play the game however the heck you want to play, and you have a, a fighting chance to win at a major convention. Is it going to be harder if you don't follow the medalist? Probably. Is it going to be much harder? I don't think so. But you might be putting yourself at a natural disadvantage. It might be small, but it's still a disadvantage, potentially. Um, but I'm going to wrap this up by saying have fun, play what you want to play. That's what's most important. Don't let anyone tell you anything. You, they can give you advice. Like People can tell you what works and what doesn't work, but never let someone just walk in and say, hey, you, don't play this because I don't like it. Don't play that because it's bad. Who said it was bad? It's just bad. We've, we have determined it's bad. Who's we? The player base. Don't listen to those people. If you want to play whatever you want to play, play it. And if you think it's good, then practice day in and day out. Go to your local game store and play that list over and over and over and figure out what works, figure out what doesn't, figure out how to tweak it and make that list yours. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise and have fun doing it. So this is a insanely long uh, group of episodes. We've almost got three hours long between these two episodes. So I hope everyone is enjoying the massive amount of content coming out uh, this week for Squad Tactica and Kill Team. As you probably know, as I've said multiple times, I'm going to the Dallas Open here on Friday. I'm recording this on Wednesday morning. Actually, it's Thursday morning because it's one in the morning. So um, we're going to record more uh, Kill Team episodes next week to talk about the Dallas Open. I'm playing in the GT, or I'm playing in the Kill Team event on Friday, and then I'm going to be playing in the pickup games over the course of Saturday and Sunday. And, you know, just playing Kill Team, Kill Team, Kill Team, Kill Team, because that's what this show is about. Having fun, learning lessons, um, becoming a better player, and meeting new people. So that is the end of this episode. Thank you, as always, to our Patreons. Thank you to the Army Painter, Battle Foam, and Discount Games, Inc. I have shouted their praises from the rooftop tops for the last four episodes so i'm not going to do too much more because it is late and my throat is very tired from talking but thank you to everyone for listening it is uh, a joy it is a pleasure and it is an honor to make uh, this content to produce it to talk about this amazing game and this amazing community um adepticon in a nutshell blew me away it ignited a fire inside of my soul that is just burning brightly and I, I really hope that people who are listening can tell and they can feel that you know we get a lot of compliments about how enthusiastic I am but Adepticon was something extraordinary like I said people left stuff everywhere and no one stole it people didn't I didn't have my tokens I completely forgot like an idiot and I was like hey can I borrow your tokens and everyone was like sure in a trading card environment, I would have been afraid of being disqualified because someone would call a judge, hey, this guy doesn't have tokens, and the judge would have been like, you got to go buy tokens or you're disqualified. 
Every single player was like, here, borrow mine. It's totally fine. They were friendly. They were kind. They were strong in their gameplay, but they were also fun to talk to. They weren't a-holes, and they were like, oh, I'm better than you. I can do one of these things. It was like, you know, hey, we're having fun. I'm making friends. We're enjoying uh, the game. We're talking about all kinds of other stuff like food and painting and hobbyists. And it was just like, this is what I love. This is why I do what I do because these people, you, the listener, this community is fantastic. And I am just in awe. And I'm so inspired to do everything I can to grow the community, build the community, bring as much information as I possibly can to help and show people that this game is not only amazing, but it is nothing like anyone can ever tell you. It's whatever you want it to be. And that is so precious and so unique that not many games have. And on top of that, you can win major events with your list. And I'm so excited to see what people bring to these conventions as I attend them because I don't think you have to be meta to win. I firmly do not believe that anymore. And I'm so excited to see what I bring, what you bring, what someone else brings and what the the outcome of these combats these battles these kill team events look like i think kill team is going to be around for a really long time because of some of these really amazing factors so this has been a fantastic time thank you for joining us we will see you next week after the dallas open and as always remember keep on killing them